0: You are listening to Faceless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogues. Each week, we design new decks for tournament play, and then we put our creations to the test so we can share our findings on the air, what worked, what didn't, and what can be optimized for the following week. On today's episode, Kieran and Moore take a deep look into Dominaria United, as they make the final predictions regarding the set. Will any of them be proven right once the decklist start to trickle in? Join us to find out, and hope you enjoy the episode.
1: welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan Online, joined today all the way from Argentina. You know him as Mord to Light, it's Emi Sagasti. Emmy, welcome.
0: Heyo, hey Dan, how is it going? Just sitting here, surrounded by kittens, doing my reading, I'm waiting to pray some beautiful Dominar United. How is life?
1: Uh, I'm doing alright. I'm sustained by the pictures you send to me of your new cat grandchildren, your 23-year-old cat granddad. How do you feel about that?
0: I was reading a granddad, slightly terrified.
1: Oh my gosh. Which one is this? Is this one, two, three, or four?
0: This is one.
1: One white mark. Hello. Our third co-host is joining us today.
0: Number one.
1: This looks like a and boo. It looks like a hamster where they're very young like this.
0: Go for the (laughs) eyes.
1: Well, we gushed about the kitties already at length on our Friday episode, but I have a feeling this is going to be a recurring feature of the show for at least as long as these kittens are here. They're so, so. Worst
0: part, if you ever grab one and she just like rolls around to find it, because she tried to find it while I was holding it, she just started crushing other kittens, and I had to pull one from under her.
1: (laughs) So, we've been putting out a lot of shows lately, right? We did. Three episodes worth of just all previews. We had a uh, wonderful guest, Cameron Lance, SCG Baltimore champion, was on last week to talk about kind of the final dump of cards. Uh, Emmy and Cam dove into some of those last day spoilers, and we're already into brewing time. I mean, uh, the cards have been out on Magic Online for a couple days now. On Friday, we talked about our favorite card from the set, Leyline Binding. I don't know if it's our favorite. I shouldn't speak for you. At least the card that jumps out to me as extremely powerful, is Leyland Binding, and we talked at length about that. bunch of different decks that can go into into Modern, some in Pioneer as well, and some bad ideas <laughs> that You probably more shouldn't beautiful. go
0: into. Yeah, but there's nothing more beautiful than bad ideas. Also, I'm going to be going a slightly slightly tiny rant about how I hate people compaking decklists they have no idea about as soon as a new card comes out. I'm seeing so many pro players or articles about Enigmatic Incarnation based on this new card and they just make me suffer. People are assuring they know the way and you are like you don't know the way. You have made no sacrifice for this. <laughs> you haven't fi- you haven't owe five a million times to realize this car of God is terrible. Stop so adding it to your neck.
1: These platinum pros they haven't earned the right to have an opinion about Enigmatic Incarnation because they haven't struggled with the rest of us.
0: They haven't gone through the mud. So you rant aside yeah A lot of fun ideas, a lot of beautiful ideas, and a lot of cards. You even have a card that I had no idea even existed in your list. Like, I didn't, like, I just keep over it without realizing.
1: Oh, on my list for today? Yeah. All right, well, interesting. So, our task for today, uh, we've already got our work cut out for us in terms of brewing. I think we're going to be playing Leyline decks and Shadow Prophecy decks uh, this week. But what we want to do in this episode is kind of take a step back and be like, okay, We've just been in a flurry of cards, cards everywhere, this new card, (laughs) that new card. Sometimes it's like a bit too much. We got to just sort of sort the the wheat from the chaff, right? Which are the cards that actually matter from this set? So we like to do a bit of a wrap up, a preview wrap up, uh, top 10 lists or top five in this case, where for each of the respective formats that we care about, Modern and Pioneer, we try to distill like the cards that actually matter, the cards that you know, you're going to see in top tier decks or the cards that we are just most excited to start working with.
0: You know what I fear? If we start talking about overrated stuff or t- cards we didn't like, I know 100% the monthly project is going to be one of each of those. <laughs> fighting for the top. Because I think one thing our entrepreneurs enjoy more than brewing is seeing us suffer while brewing.
1: As is their rights. I mean, they own us.
0: As is their I won't. I won't ever resign their rights. I'm just saying, we know you.
1: I do have a list of overrated slash misunderstood cards that I will get to those later, but we should start with the good ones. Um, So that's our plan of attack for today, and just a reminder before we dive in that we are a listener-supported show, which means that if you enjoy this podcast and want to help support what we do, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Join any tier you're comfortable with. can be a dollar a show. can be a dollar a month if you want, but... But whatever tier you can support us, uh, that really goes a long way, helps keep a show going.
0: Everything helps, everything puts a smile on our face and just keeps us going, day to day, stream to stream.
1: Exactly. Uh, You'll get access to our Discord community, got a wonderful community of brewers there, and the beginning of a new set is always the most exciting time, just to see what people are throwing around, see what everyone's working on.
0: Yeah, a lot of rules flying around, even now as we speak, people discussing what you play in Pioneer, what you play in Modern, also, huge upside, the community leagues are back, so people, literally members of our Discord fighting over different formats along the month to, just to, for the right of being the new king of our community league. This community league started with a week of Modern into a week of Penny Dreadful, followed by a week of Pioneer, I think, and the fourth format is Picker's Choice by the winner of the last one, Darshik. So we have no idea what that format might be, might be quite clearly, quite literally anything.
1: Exactly. Yeah, the I mean, community's been growing at a great clip lately, so uh, if you're interested in hanging out with some like-minded players, or mind-like players, as Emmy would say, <laughs> come come join our Discord. We'd love to see you there. A
0: hundred percent. So, Dan, our beautiful list for today.
1: All right, let's start off with the top five most impactful cards. Easy- the best cards, you can put it that way. The cards that are going to affect top-tier decks cards that might become staples these are the cards that you know when months from now when all of the hype is gone these are the cards that people will still be playing with we think
0: yeah what well, so you had a pretty i think in this one we will pretty much agree on most of the candidates right I, I, ha- I didn't see much of a difference we were pretty consistent in what we think are the best cards
1: i think so i mean definitely for modern so in my top five for modern yeah starting with Leyline binding i think this is also on your list right
0: yeah it's also my first like, I think our first and second are exactly the same. Shadow Prophecy, and leyline Binding, we talked the whole episode about it. Shadow Prophecy, we talked half an episode about it.
1: This is surprising, right? Shadow Prophecy, two in a black instant look at your top X cards of your library where X is equal to your domain. Two go into your hand, the rest in your graveyard, then you lose two life. Really surprising card. Came out on the final day of spoilers. I think it wasn't even previewed, right? It was just part of the Damp. No, no,
0: it was just part of the dump as a common. And I love it. I had someone tell me Factor Fiction is better than this because you get three cards, and I was like, you only get three cards in Factor Fiction if either there are not the cards you want or your opponent is really bad at the game.
1: Right, I mean, Factor Fiction, you get some choice, but not complete choice. Shadow Prophecy yeah. is not only cheaper than Factor Fiction, I mean, that, that's such a huge difference. The one it's mana
0: difference, like people say, you lose two life. I can assure you, paying one less mana for stuff is worth more than two life. Just pay, make it cost four and give it three extra mana, and then tell me it's not amazing. <laughs> You know what? Maybe That's it's because exactly it. with Phyrexia.
1: Factor fiction with Phyrexia mana. But better, it's a better effect than Factor yeah. Fiction. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm amazed by this card. I I could be wrong, but I think we both really like this, and I initially yeah. put this on my underrated list, but I just decided to promote it to best overall. <laughs> yeah. So my third card, yes, is Rune Develop's Horde Master, the Goblin Lord. Dominaria United gave us a set of five two mana lords. We got an elf, a merfolk, a goblin a soldier lord and a cleric lord. <laughs> That's a little bit surprising. I thought they would do a zombie lord to have like a complete alpha cycle <laughs> there. Uh, a little bit disappointed there. But
0: they, they avoided the zombie lord and the human lord just to not power up already existing tribes. They went for soldiers and clerics.
1: I was so sure they would do a zombie lord. I mean, it's supposed to be a callback to the game's history, right? Like, alpha had Lord of Atlantis, Goblin King, and Zombie Master. And there was no elf lord, right? It was like... Those were the three original tribes. I'm I don't know. Missed opportunity there. Just gonna say that. But let's focus on the lowers we did get. The Rudenvelt Horde Master, one in a red, gives your other goblins plus one plus one. And whenever any goblin you control dies, including tokens, including itself, you exile the top card of your deck. You have until your next end step to cast that card if it's a goblin. So why does this matter? Well, it upgrades the goblin decks on like three important axes, right? Goblins actually don't really have a two-mana lord, and we talked about this during the preview week. So, this is the first two-mana goblin lord, which immediately opens up new aggro lines for goblins. It provides built-in resilience, right? One of the reasons tribal decks often fail, especially in the age of unholy heat and fury is that, you know, they just they just get picked off so easily. Your creatures just die immediately. Horde Master, unlike the other lords in the cycle, has built-in resilience to removal. Multiple copies stack, so you, you are not punished at all for that. And you can even, if you want to, you can go deep and build some kind of combo deck where, you know, maybe Skirk Prospector plus Horde Master allows you to dig really deep for some combo pieces. I mean, there's so much the Horde Master can do.
0: I mean, the fact that half of the time it draws you a card, it's insane. The fact that it allows you to cast it until your next 10-step is insane. The fact that it's a, the first two-mana real Lord Goblins has ever had is shocking. I'm surprised that the tribe never got a two mana lord before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised too. I think it's because Goblins is considered to be a powerful tribe, so they didn't want to give it a two mana okay. lord.
0: Yeah, but now that it got severely hit by MH2, which is, so, this is an interesting aspect. Sets are made with three years on the back, which means Hormaster got designed before MH2 got released. Mm. So they knew what Fury and Solitude were bound to do. They knew Dex needed a little bit of help.
1: Yeah. So do you feel inclined to combo with the Horde Master? I mean, you could go like Skirk Prospector into Mog War Marshal and draw three cards and make three mana?
0: I think you just want to play this in the regular Goblins as a really good failsafe, as a really good plan B. Also remember, if you're about to combo with Goblins, you need to be extremely careful with Horde Master. You, You play your Snoop, you play your Harbinger, tutor to the top, make your tokens, when you And when you put on top the new Formula 1-1, the Formula 1-1, what's the name?
1: Slinging Lieutenant.
0: When you put Slinging Lieutenant to the top, sacrifice your Hornmaster first, so you don't exile your top as you sacrifice your Snoops, and in response to the trigger from the Hornmaster, sacrifice your Snoops.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Because if you sacrifice a Snoop first and you don't hold priority, you're exiling that Lieutenant from the top, and you're losing that ability
1: can I just leave the Horemaster on play and just hold priority and sack all my copy tokens and I still,
0: Technically I still you're get exciting. the trigger, don't I? Yeah, but you're exciting your whole deck. Oh, right. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. you have to be careful with that as well. Well, no, I have 20
1: po- cards. I only have to do it 20 times. Yeah,
0: yeah, but somehow, like, the best uncertainty is to be sacrifice your Horemaster and with a trigger on the stack, sacrifice your... So you don't have to hold priority on NDO for 22 years because you are bound to miss a control click and screw your combo. Huh, Okay. Come that into consideration once you're playing with the Horde Master.
1: I think the other thing that I'm tempted by, and again, this is probably bad, but there are cost reduction goblins. There's Frog Tosser Banneret, there's Goblin Warchief. Yeah. And those also play very nicely with the Horde Master. I mean, there's also a Goblin Anarchomancer, but that's maybe not as good. So I don't know. I mean, that, that leads more towards the combo angle, and I think it's a, I mean, it's I a fair warning to not, not get too fancy off the bat. I'm
0: <laughs> likely to really go off with the Dirty God combo.
1: With Dirty Kitty, the fecundity yeah, spook prospector. Yeah, interesting. Empty the Warrens. Yeah, Horde Master triggers on tokens. It's just a stunningly powerful card. So yeah. that's why I have it as my number three spot in Modern.
0: Okay.
1: In number four, pretty boring card. I put Temporary Lockdown, hmm. the um the card that commemorates the COVID era. <laughs> pretty safe, pretty boring card. Uh, one white white enchantments. Exiles, all non-land permanents, CMC 2 or less, as long as Temporary Lockdown is in play.
0: Yeah, just an amazing card.
1: So, so this also made your list too.
0: Yeah, it's just, like, these two just got inverted, I think temporal Lockdown is more powerful than Master, just because it will see Cyborg in a lot of decks. Like, just seeing how... What's the name of the three-manage saga?
1: Hiresugo consumes all.
0: consumes all, could see play. This is just so much better in a lot of Cyborg. Like, play this against Hammer, they're so going to get rid of everything, even Paladins and do Mystics.
1: Yeah, one weird thought, and this might be going too too far down the rabbit hole, is if leyline Binding is as good as you and I think, if Temporary Lockdown is as good as you and I think, enchantment, I mean, is there yeah. going to be like an Enchantment enchantment hate meta? <laughs> like, we've already Maybe. got Rosa's Saga, Blood Moon could see an uptick in play to counter leyline Bindings.
0: I mean, I remember when I started playing it, like... Enigmatic got a huge bump-up during MH2 release, and I couldn't play the deck because everybody was playing Enchantress? And I just kept getting back to <laughs>
1: Seriously? Interesting. Well that'll be something to watch, but yeah, if, until that happens, we have temporary lockdown, uh, in our top four, and the fifth slot is the one where I couldn't make up my mind. I had a few different options here. What did you choose as your top as your fifth slot, Emmy?
0: We do spot arc. Which I think is bound, to just make some waves in not only modern, but also in other formats.
1: Two and a red, Goblin Noble. 2-2 two, two creature.
0: Yeah, 2-2 two, two Haze, when it attacks, it a 1-1 one, one tartan attacking Goblin. It has Cape 4 for 4 mana.
1: So this was one of the first cards previewed, and for that reason, I mean, we liked it a lot, because there wasn't much to compare it to. Has it held up? Um, I mean, now that we've seen the full set, I, I stand by everything we said about Squee, I think the reason that it's going to be successful is because, you know, there's already Obosh Red, you just put 4 in and yeah. see what happens. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I just think Squee takes a lot of place in other decks. I think it's amazing. Like, any modern writing pioneer, just having to get rid of it multiple times, it's devastating. And I think, even if, like, the other lords, like the Visionary and the Hex Catcher are better cards on themselves, their tribe is so much weaker.
1: Yeah, so I, I had Squee as a maybe. I also had a maybe... Th- Vodellion Hex Catcher and Leaf Crown Visionary. That's the Merfolk Lord and the Elf Lord. I ended up going with Rona's Vortex as my my fifth slot for Modern. Is Rona's Vortex actually good enough for Modern? Well, it has two modes, right? Its basic mode is blue for an instant bounce an opponent's yeah. creature or planeswalker. Opponent, so it's not quite an unsummon. It can't save your own creature. However, if you kick it for a total of two blue-black, so a four-mana total, you actually put the permanent you target on the bottom of the library so it's like a, a spell. super removal spell is that gonna be good enough like setting aside russo drake's shenanigans like is that <laughs> is that actually just good enough on its own
0: i don't know for modern however i think we're both overestimating a card that i had neither of us putting here which i'm going to talk about later because i just remember it existed it's that underrated which is what's really similar which is a two mana disenchant that becomes vindicate for four mana
1: uh, okay, so that could be on your underrated list, but yeah. all right.
0: But it's, I think it was really similar, and I think it's a bit under tempo. Like, I think it should be one mana cheaper while the card is insane.
1: Hmm. So I'm going to tentatively put Rona's Vortex in my top five, but I, I'm really not sure about that one. I think obviously we're going to see a lot more results with Rodely and Hexcatcher just because people like Merfolk. Oh, I'm yeah. not super convinced the Hexcatcher is a huge upgrade.
0: I think it is. Like, I actually it think okay. it is, but people just love merfolk so it's gonna see a lot of players
1: i mean my hesitation there is that i look at the merfolk decks now and it's not like they're playing bad merfolk right like they have good merfolk at the two slot they, they don't really need any more merfolk at the two slot they don't even need more lords they have plenty of lords
0: you know what i think it's a huge upgrade for is the sea Balloon one that barely plays merfolks
1: does it i mean it's a 1-1 it's not that great like the thing is like it's even though it has flesh, the Hex Catcher is smaller than the other lords, and it doesn't grant Island Walk. So it's like, all right. I mean, I don't really want to sack my Merfolk for any reason. I guess if I could counter a Cascade spell, that might help. But yeah, it doesn't counter Fury. It doesn't counter Solitude. So I'm, th- I'm kind of worried that it's like not as powerful as people think.
0: I think that's the most. I think that's the most annoying part, right? Not countering Fury or Solitude means you're still going to get destroyed by it as per usual. Yeah. I mean, at least you can mess with this Fury math because it has Flash. I think the Flash part is the huge one.
1: That's true. And
0: okay. a-, a Flash lore really messes with math.
1: All right, so that's our modern, most impactful lists. If we dip over to Pioneer, I mean, what changes when you go to Pioneer? How does your Pioneer list look? So, I
0: mean? in my pioneer list, I go straight up, on the top of it, Temporal Lockdown. I think the card is amazing against a lot of Pioneer archetypes. I think it just crashes the monoway that has been on a huge surge. It crushes Ragdos midrange. Sorry, Ragdos sacrifice, getting rid of all their one mana artifacts, two mana artifacts, treasures, plow, tokens, whatever just gets cleared out. And I want you to see a Ragdos day- getting rid of a three man enchantment consistently.
1: Yeah, I kind of forgot about Ragdos there. Um, okay, so this is more than just a Supreme Verdict for three, which already is important. But yeah, if you can just clean up all the miscellaneous bits and pieces left around, that's very impressive.
0: Exactly, I think that's part of why it's huge. Just getting rid of, literally, the Ovens and the uh, Onicool and such. Also, against humans, you can get rid of a Pyre alongside a bunch of 1-drops and 2-drops. I don't know, I think this card is shockingly powerful in any sideboard in Pioneer.
1: Okay, so that's your number one card for Pioneer.
0: Yeah, number two, I go, maybe this is biased, like 100% biased, but I really love Leyline Binding. My top ones and two my my top five in Pioneer and Modern looks sim- look really similar, just in different order. I think Leyline Binding gets a lot of power exactly because it powers the Nimatic, and I think a lot of shells are going to try and find a way to just run it because it's likely the best removal in the format, in a format without ending an unholy hit, right?
1: It is like way above the curve in terms of power level in pioneer. So
0: I think Pioneer decks might be able to cast it consistently for two or three mana, mostly three mana, and I think that's on Pioneer is more than on trade.
1: So in our episode on Friday, we looked at Leyland Binding in detail. We didn't talk that much about Pioneer builds because it's a little bit harder to solve the mana off the top of my head. Like, I, I look at what are the tools to achieve Domain, and apart from just drawing Triomes and Shocklands in the right sequence, you don't have a lot. I mean, you have Nylea's presence, you have the new gate from this set, uh, Thran Portal, or something like that. Which but,
0: isn't great, because it only fixes you for one. So, I mean, you can write it in, like, um. A- Two color deck to work as the third splash when needed, but even then.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff. We just have to look harder for it, and it's going to be probably a slower archetype. Um, but yeah, I, I believe in Leyline Binding. That also made my Pioneer top five list.
0: So Leyline Binding, just like Leyline Binding. I think Squee is going to shine in Pioneer. I have it as my three, just because more red decks are on the horizon with a lot of flag race and I just fear the times I get turn three Squee, and they just keep escaping it in the mid game. And eventually they just put an Embercleave with all the tokens it generated, and I go to sleep crying.
1: Oh, so even like in an Embercleave deck? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay.
0: Yeah, Boner Red That could look two Devotion. different
1: ways. I mean, now that Carplus and Forest is legal, the turn one Elf into turn two Rabble Master effect or Squee effect, topping out an Embercleave, that's a lot more doable.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I was thinking that, like goblin aggro would be good in pioneer so actually i didn't put squee on my top five but i did put the runevelt Horde Master on my list um for similar reasons to modern but less of a focus on combo and just pure aggro like now i'm thinking all right founder street denizen legion loyalist maybe fanatical firebrand as long as uh land of War elves green devotion is popular i can just pick off elves there and yeah i, I could imagine squee having a premier spot on that deck, although it, Squee did not make my top 5, but yeah, the Master did.
0: Yeah. Her- yeah, Hormaster did, but Squee didn't, which shocked me, because I don't think Goblins is going to see much play in Pioneers, but I think Bollered Agro always will.
1: Okay, I think that's a fair a fair guess. I'll stick with my Master.
0: <laughs> For the fourth, I have Lillia the Veil, vale because I think, I don't know if it will overperform, but I think it will see a shit ton of play. Like, I'm not okay. sure about its efficiency, I'm just sure it will see a lot of play because people love it. And I think that's what, what we're going for here. And finally, Elder Channeler because it will see play in any band mid-range humans. Whatever you're playing, you want this beautiful human with three abilities on it.
1: Alright, so let's, let's talk about Lily for a second because Lily was my number two card on my yeah. list. I agree, everyone's going to be testing the heck out of this. People are already playing it. I think the early data is going to be a little skewed Because, well, A, people will overplay it, and I've already seen screenshots being posted of, like, you know, the opponent discards a Johnny's last stand and gets a 4-4 token.
0: It was amazing.
1: But- people loading up on locks smiters and no hide Feroxes, even orvar the all form there's a bunch of cards that specifically punish liliana of the veil <laughs> you can kind of meme and stuff your deck with them and i think you'll do quite well for the first couple of weeks so we won't get like true data on the for at least maybe the first three or four weeks till people get that out of their system
0: yeah so it's gonna be extremely biased at first also even more skewed because it's the only card from the binaria you can actually play
1: oh right right yeah just the way that magic online releases works any because reprint.
0: everybody has the card, so it's going to see a lot of play even before it. The same happened with Fire and Ice with M8.
1: Correct. So I think that when the dust settles, Liliana and the Veil will be a powerful addition to the format. Um, not just as a standalone attrition card, but it actually has neat synergies, right? It's a discard outlet. If you're trying to do, I don't know, like Grease Fang or something, for example, uh, works with your own delve spells. Like it's a really good card. It's just a generically good card. And... In modern, I mean, we've we've come to think of it as just like a pure attrition card, but actually Lily has a lot of unique skills.
0: Yeah, I think Lily is actually a playable card. I think she will see a play. I don't think she will see as much play as she thinks today, because today was insane.
1: So your fifth card is Aether Channeler, a value creature. My final slots go to a little more brute force, so I'm going to go with Belmore, Battlemage Captain. Kind of a boring card. This is the blue-red bird wizard legend. Yeah. It's one three with like a super prowess. Whenever you cast an instant of sorcery, all of your creatures get plus one 0, plus oh, and trample until end of turn. Upgraded version of Adelie's Ascender Wind, right? It doesn't it doesn't require wizards, right? So everything gets a boost, including Monastery Swift Beer, mm. including tokens from young Pyromancer if you want to do that. And it's just at a better spot on the curve, right? Like Adelie's turn three. Was always pretty disappointing, right? You tapped out. You didn't trigger any of your prowess. Bellamore on turn three is a much different story. Bellamore plus a spell triggers everything. Triggers your soul's garbage twice. Like I, th- I think this is just going to be a huge upgrade to the blue-red prowess archetype specifically. It's even a wizard, so you can do wizards of lightning.
0: Yeah, I think this is exactly what we discussed in the first episode. It being a wizard has to be relevant for it to be good. Unlikely in pioneer, the wizard tag might actually be important.
1: Gives your creatures trample. I forgot to mention that, so like chump blocking is no longer on the table. I mean, it's just so many generous little tweaks that they gave to Belmore. So I'm putting this in my top five list because I don't think it's a very interesting card, but I do think it is going to be powerful.
0: I, I agree. I, I think it will really be powerful. I'm just not sure if, it, if the archetype is powerful enough for me to guarantee the top five.
1: All right, so. We agreed on Lily, we agreed on Leyland Binding, uh, we each had a Goblin, I had Master. you had Squee, I had Belmore, where you had Ether Channeler, and where you had Temporary Lockdown. I wasn't really sure again, My for my fifth slot, I think I just put uh, Rona's Vortex here again, just because... Rooster Drakes. <laughs> because of Rooster Drakes. I actually think this will be powerful in Pioneer. Yeah, I agree. I know I'm memeing, but it might not be specifically Rona's Vortex, it might be a different kicker card that, you know, Push that deck to the top, but I think I'll be starting with the Vortex.
0: I agree. So yeah, I'm surprised you didn't go for Temporal Lockdown.
1: You know, I just kind of thought of it as immediately as a modern card. Um, but yeah, it's going to be good in Pioneer 2, I think. Maybe that should be my... that'll be my fifth card if I made a list.
0: So after that, we have the most excited to brew.
1: Yes, these are the cards that's, you know, these are the Faithless Brewing cards. The cards we want to work on. And we have to stick to form. We have to start with the card that we already brewed with, so I put Leyline Binding first on the list just because you know I insisted on doing this first. But as as you heard, if you listen to our Friday show, Shadow Prophecy, which goes in the same mana bases, is equally, perhaps even more exciting. Yeah, it's an amazing card. So those are kind of tied for first on my list of most excited to brew with.
0: <laughs> exactly as I said on Friday, so Shadow Prophecy is my first. I'm not excited to brew with Binding. I just think it's powerful. But binding makes, makes me want to roll with prophecy, which is just something that makes me really excited for.
1: My number two card is Maria Scholar of Antiquity. One green red for a 3 3 Elf Artificer. She's like a mini Urza in Gruel colors, which is very, very strange. She doesn't work with tokens, so that's the big drawback to Maria. She can only tap real artifacts, but she has two different ways to use them. She lets you tap an artifact to generate either green or red mana, so that's similar to Urza, or she taps two artifacts to exile your top card, and you can play that card this turn. So she's kind of like an all-in-one mana and draw engine that yeah, I think is super powerful.
0: It's even cheaper than Urza's activated ability, as long as what you get it costs less than three, like in a deck that's trying to go like small, small, infinite.
1: So you can easily go infinite with Paradox Engine. I think you and David talked about this um, during the preview week. Extremely easily. You could go infinite with uh, Mystic Forge. You go infinite with Song of Creation. But the thing that I think sets Maria apart is that you could just go infinite just with Maria herself without anything else. Like if your deck is cheap enough, she provides the mana and the card draw to just like single-handedly go off. Like you don't have to add a second bag card to the list. So I think it's going to be like a... Puzzle that we'll have to solve, but she's asking like really interesting questions in colors that we haven't seen before and with the really interesting restriction that it can't use tokens.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so people were excited about literally the first argument was someone gave in the Discord was I can think of 50 reasons this is going to be amazing. Of course, referring to the 50, 50 points of life beacon to burn your opponent for 50 immediately.
1: Oh, with uh, either flex reservoir. <laughs>
0: exactly. Like trying to go off with one or two mana artifacts and just like storm out with like a paradoxical outcome.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really excited for this. I maybe even put it in Bard class. I'm not sure. Like, there's there's a ton of stuff to do with Maria. That's what yeah, I'm it's really super excited interesting
0: on. card. Super interesting card.
1: So that's my number two, most excited to brew. Number three on my list is a much simpler card, Talerian Terror, six and a blue for a five-five serpent with Ward two. Reduce by one for each incident sorcery card in your graveyard. So like a cryptic serpent, but it's slightly smaller. So like a cryptic serpent, but it has ward, which is huge. And it also can cost a single blue pip instead of two, so that's also huge. That's like the difference between Tombstalker and Gurmagangler, Angler, if I can borrow that analogy. I haven't heard a lot of talk about Talarian Terror, so my interest in this card is actually mainly just...
0: You just want to spite, people. This is out of spite. You just got told you couldn't.
1: Exactly. <laughs> right, I, I've been told that you can't do this because graveyard hate is too too strong, or because it's worse than you know whatever you want to say, Tide, or dig through time or whatever format you're in. People feel like the graveyard should be given over to a different card. Like you can't have too many cards that need the graveyard. I think Telerian Terror is good enough that it can hold its own as like your featured graveyard threat, and I just want to prove that. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to work on Telerian Terror, and I'm not even sure which format it's going to be. I think it's actually more powerful in modern. Fourth on my list is Urtai Resurrected, and this is... Because David's not here, I have to put a David card on this okay. list. He loves Urtai Resurrected.
0: <laughs> I think he got in love with it when I mentioned you could control your own triggers in stuff like the cards he loved, like the Sultai the creature. The, sorry, a one.
1: I, I didn't even realize this until you guys talked about this. I, th- I was thinking Urtai is either Remand or like Fatal Push, but it's actually much more than that. So the card is 2 blue-black for a 3-2 flash, legendary Phyrexian human wizard, well, whatever, 3-2 flash for 4, basically. When Urtai Resurrected enters the battlefield, you choose up to 1. So you either you counter-target spell-activated ability or triggered ability. The controller of that ability that you countered draws a card. That's your first option which is actually three options. Your second (laughs) option is to destroy another target creature or planeswalker. Its controller draws a card. And your third option is to do neither of those if you just want a 3-2 flash to trigger your Slither Wisp or whatever. (laughs) Urtai is so cool. I mean, there's, like, what? We just talked about five options built in right away. And I think you and David did a great job of explaining how even though giving them a card might feel bad, it's actually probably pretty tempo positive for you and what I'm intrigued by is, like, that's the first time you use it. If you can set up Urtai to blink Urtai, you, you could potentially just completely lock someone out of the game.
0: Yeah. I, I have seen a lot of takes that opponent drawing a card is worse than giving the spell back to their hand, which just isn't correct most of the time.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think you made a great point about that. Um, It may be the case that if you just throw this card into any random pile, that Venser is better, but like, Spencer is also bad. You had to build around these cards, and that's why it makes yeah. my Excited to Brew list.
0: Just to find the perfect call. You just want to counter your own trigger.
1: <laughs> well, I don't want to do that specifically. I'm more interested in like setting up some kind of blink lockdown effect, but yeah, I'm intrigued. I think we're definitely going to be spending more time with our tie. David will insist. And finally, rounding up my list is Roost of Drakes, which is not actually from this set, but there's like 20 new kicker spells in this set, and I'm definitely going to be working on some kicker deck. No surprise. What about you, Emmy? What's on your top 5 most excited to brew list?
0: We both started with Shadow Prophecy, and the second one is a card I'm not excited yet, but someone is going to convince me to be excited about, and I don't know who's that going to be, which is Ursa Assembles the Titans. 5 mana saga, 3 and double white, with 3 ahead, when it enters the battlefield, the first step, look, strike 4, reveal the top card of your library, if it's a planeswalker, you may put it into your hand. Second step, you may put a a Planeswalker card from your hand into the play if it's CMC 6 or less, and step 3, you may activate Loyalty Abilities two times this turn. It's just a super friend's deck, clearly, but the thing is, you have to make sure the third step is worth a card most of the time, because the second one is just, like, ramping you one mana, which is terrible. And the first one is doomed to miss a lot of times.
1: It sets you up for some potentially really explosive turns on the turn you trigger Chapter 2 and 3. Like If you're able to cast Urza Assembles as Titans with the luxury of just doing chapter one, so you're just paying yeah. five to essentially maybe draw a card, that's a bad turn but then your next two turns could be super explosive, right? On the next turn you drop something in for free and you have all your mana up, and the next turn you activate a million loyalty abilities.
0: My biggest problem is the fact that first they'd be so bad. I mean, it's
1: weak, that's your luxury step, right? That's where the read ahead really yeah. makes a big difference. Look at the pile of kitties! <laughs> oh my gosh. So the first hey, step- brief pause for kitten cam again was the, <laughs> the four new kittens that oh my gosh those were <laughs> so cute.
0: <laughs> I'm killing them. See, Pippin appears randomly just to look at them. When it is: proud
1: sleeps. proud Papa cat is coming to check on them now that Mom's taking a break. Yeah, this is so cute. Uh, all right, back to your list.
0: Return- returning to Ursa, who was never a proud Papa, never looked back on his heel. Incredible character. Yeah, the first step you need like 20 Planeswalkers to hit reliably, which is like a stupidly high number, but I can see this in a Carve the Lion sort of deck, just starting to really go off. Planeswalker that kills itself activating two times. So you go turn five, turn four cards, or turn five, turn five these on step one. Turn six, you go Carve. After you put in a Planeswalker, and you try to find ways to go off and stuff like that. I don't know, it seems terrible, but I just want to try the day. I just want to play Super Friends.
1: I think in my initial notes, I just wrote that this is not my style of card. Like The only redeeming quality in that Karth line is that because of read-ahead, you can go Karth into Urza Assembles of Titans and just start on Chapter 2 to immediately yeah. put a 6-drop in. But That's it's just deal. too many knuckleheads beyond that. Like it's Most Planeswalkers are a little bit too clunky, and Urza Assembles the Titans is also clunky. So I don't want to, like, fill my deck up with that.
0: Yeah, the card decks that got any sort of success were the ones that played the non-clanky walkers, the Ferry Brennan, Six, Chase, maybe in the Ferry 5, and that's the top, like, playing the less clanky as possible playing the So third, I have a card that might actually should come in my second, which is the Shadow Rite Priest. I want to play Cleric's Tribal, and I won't be stopped.
1: Yeah, I had Shadow Right Priest on an earlier version. I think it's on my underrated list, so yeah. I, I also like this card.
0: There are some decent clerics, there are some spicy ones. I don't know, I really want to try this and put, like, one Archon of Cruelty in my deck.
1: So Shadowrite Priest, two mana cleric lord, gives your other clerics plus one plus one, but it's also a 2-2, two, two, so its base stats are really generous. Then the activated ability is stupidly generous. Like, I cannot believe they put this ability on a card. It's three, black, black, tap, sacrifice another cleric. Put a black creature card from your deck directly into play. Yeah. Like, Gristlebrand, Brand, Archon Cruelty, whatever you want. You tutor forward and put it directly into play for five mana. That's nuts. I mean, like, that's not that powerful in a vacuum, but like, it's on a card we already want to play, right? Like, we're already happy, theoretically, like, we're already happy playing this two mana lord that's generously studded. So, I mean, the reason I, I put this on my underrated list is just that I think people don't understand how many good creatures are clerics. Yeah, I think, people never look uh, at that tag. Yeah, I think like alchemy players might know that because they printed some nuts alchemy lord in the first batch of alchemy cards, and then you look at like the black-white cleric deck in alchemy back then and it was like, whoa, these are all clerics? These are great! Transfer that to a real format like Modern Art Pioneer, you have even more clerics to choose from. We just haven't had an incentive before to put them all in the same deck.
0: Yeah, we never got enough upside from it, so really looking forward to Getting to rule with this card, I have no idea which players are Clerics yet. I just don't banish your and a few else.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, there's plenty.
0: There's plenty of them. And the upside of, they ever let your Lord survive just getting an Archon of cruelty or crystal and into play on the same turn? is <laughs> insane. Because 5 mana is not that much mana when you have Eder Vile.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe you're playing something like uh, Archfiend's Vessel, which is a Cleric extraction specialist which is not a cleric but it gets back your archery vessel or it gets back your shadow right priest um
0: it's it, it's an honorary cleric also a lot of clerics are humans a lot of clerics are humans so if you have so if you have a pair of heroes you can just still get the extraction specialist
1: yeah exactly
0: below that i have channel channeler a lot of people already brewing with it just an efficient creature not much else not particularly spicy just i'm gonna feature it in recruiter slash slash company decks. I really think it's a huge power-up to spy, to Aspiring Spies banned Soul Hero list. That deck really okay. struggled with Planeswalkers. Like, every single game I won against them was just resolving an early Deferi or an Arsdet or a Deferi-5. And that deck is 50% walls, 40% percent one ones, They can't clear Planeswalkers and now they just have a way to bounce them efficiently. And finally, Ivy.
1: Oh, the spell thief.
0: Because I want to... I have been hoping to find a way to play mutate in modern for a few months of years now and this might be my first shot at doing something decent
1: so i know you talked about this already with david but i didn't quite follow what exactly happens when you mutate with ivy in play so you're envisioning that you have ivy plus another creature
0: yeah so i have a wall of omens so literally non-human and you go for example the most playable mutate in modern is panda beast or something like Parcel that beast, yeah Thanks. So, let's say I have a Wall of Omens and Ivy. I parcel this into the Wall of Omens. This creates a parcel beast targeting Ivy, which means if either Wall or Ivy die, I get a token of parcel beast on play. Mm. So, worst case scenario, <laughs> I end up with a... Par- so, no matter how the situation plays on, you end up that situation with two parcel beasts on play.
1: Okay. Either
0: mutated or just straight up token of that.
1: That's so interesting. <laughs> all right well i mean that feels more pioneer power level but that's okay we like pioneer
0: um, yeah and it can easily quite easily be pioneer you just gotta play um we didn't, you just literally gotta play enough non-humans with all the tvs and you have three playable mutates i think so 12 cards that work really well
1: so you're just proceeding directly to the nonsense with mutate i was thinking okay ivy what do I do with Ivy? Well I wanna play maybe light paws and sram, and those are all legends, Ivy, light pause, and sram, which means I can play the new Curious Obsession, which is called uh Combat Research, yeah. I believe. And maybe that's um
0: So Ivy playstyle of like Voltron is really far away from what I enjoy playing. So if I'm playing A- A- Ivy, I'm playing it in like the most insane way possible. Because playing Voltron, playing Bogles or playing that sort of low to the ground aggressively like is not my comfort zone. Huh. So, if I'm playing Ivy, it's likely it's in some unplayable pile.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
0: That's using Ivy for what makes her special.
1: Know thyself.
0: Honorary 6 role that I'm really going to use in a lot of decks. Don't ask me why in Pioneer is the 2 creature raise the alarm.
1: Oh, Resolute Reinforcements. Yes. Interesting.
0: I'm going to play a sh- lot of that card. Also because as soon as I get the cards, I'm playing Monument of Foguetra with some bad stuff.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those role players that you know, you look at it, and it's like clearly an upgrade to previous versions of the effect. But is it is it a powerful effect to start with? That's not totally clear because the previous versions have not been very good. So we just don't know. There aren't like proven decks that use this effect. If it made a human token, that would be like very very yeah. good. But it makes a soldier token, which the is the thing is less I'm,
0: good. Not, I'm not looking at it for humans. I'm looking at it for Monument of Oquetra, um, Rite of Oblivion, Yorion, Crappy okay. stuff. So I I just gotcha. love two bodies, one being a permanent that just gives me upside, and I just want to play Monument of Foguetra every single day.
1: All right, so those are our most impactful and the cards we are most excited to brew. These are the cards that you'll see a lot or that you hear us talking about a lot. Yeah. Um. To close out the show, yeah, I, we do have a couple more lists here, and these are a little more subjective, overrated and underrated because you know it's hard to like get a get a hold of like what people are actually saying when the discourse is so scattered these days. But just based on what I've seen, I do have a list of cards that I think people are maybe either misunderstanding or evaluating in ways I don't agree with. So this is going to be my top five overrated cards, and maybe Mord, you can correct me if, if I'm misunderstanding how people are talking about these. Yeah. To start off with, the entire Defiler cycle I think is vastly overrated. Um they have a really cool text right? they allow you to pay Phyrexian mana for permanence but none of these cards have ETBs they're all very expensive and as far as like engines go you don't want to pay 4 or 5 mana for a creature that doesn't have an ETB and then requires like two or three other cards to do anything so i think people are distracted by the coolness of the effect but like every combo i've seen proposed with a defiler is like minimum three cards, usually four cards, and doesn't even necessarily win the game. They just, like, go in Make out lot of
0: value. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I would just leave these for the, you know, casual fun stuff, but I wouldn't seriously expect the Defilers to do anything, even in your Monument of a Ketro deck.
0: I mean, I'm gonna play the White One in my Monument of a Ketro deck. You can't make me not do it. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Let us know how that goes for you. Of course. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: Besides that, I think the green one is the most overhyped because people are saying it's amazing and it's so much better than the rest and I just don't think so. I just think they're all meh.
1: I mean, it pairs with Great Henge, so that's at least something. But yeah, I paying 5 for a 6-6, it's probably going to be Elder Gargaroth and not the green Defiler. The next card that stood out to me as like, widely misunderstood is Founding the Third Path. Founding the Third Path is a two-mana saga, chapter one you may cast an instant sorcery cmc 1 or 2 from your hand without paying its mana cost chapter 2 target player mills four cards chapter 3 give flashback to one spell in your graveyard the thing about this is that none of those abilities actually go up on cards right there's no card advantage anywhere on founding the third path there's no tempo advantage either right like chapter 1 is at best tempo neutral like you paid 2 for founding the third path You get to free-cast a 2-drop, so you're down a card at that point. You have, like, you've kept parity on mana if you cast something worthwhile on 2, but maybe you didn't cast anything worthwhile. Milling 4 sets up your delve, so that's something. But Chapter 3, that's where you get your card back. That's where you get card parity from the flashback. But even then, it's like you you kind of are locked into casting that spell that turn, and you might not want to cast that spell that turn. So it's, it's actually pretty restrictive. So I think that people are just, like, seeing something that either I'm not seeing, or maybe that's just not there for of the Third Path.
0: I think most people are looking for, like, a Snapcaster effect in Pioneer, but besides that, I don't see much for it.
1: See the Truth is the only card that, like, really gets a lot better with on the yeah. Third Path, but that's kind of clunky. You know, it's not a great card. So I'm going to just call this overrated for starters, and, you know, we'll see. <laughs> Um, beyond that, Voldelian and Hexcatcher, I think I talked about this in my top five modern. I think it's not as good as people are saying. Now, it's probably still fine. Like I, I'm sure it's going to be in a bunch of 5 O's because Murfolk Tribal plays the same way basically no matter what. I don't think this is going to move the needle on Murfolk as a deck. I'll put it that way.
0: Yeah, but I don't think it's because the got is bad. It's I think because the deck is buried so far below it needs more than a single shovel to hold back up.
1: I mean, it needs a one drop. Like yeah. Murfolk two drops are... They're all good, but the Merfolk one-drops are not that good, so that's where the deck can actually like, make a big leap forward, I think. Uh, rounding out my overrated list is Sheldred the Apocalypse. I'm just going to keep poking, kicking Sheldred while she's down. I, I just don't see what people are seeing. And by people, I mean like whoever is buying Sheldred at $35. I don't understand it. <laughs> this card is not even that good in EDH, so I don't quite understand. I mean, it's cool. Maybe that's all it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely. I think it's cool. I think it's interesting, but it's not powerful enough to animate to do anything.
1: Sail the character is interesting. Sail the card is not interesting.
0: I agree, and that's the big mistake.
1: And finally, cut down. Black Instant destroys any creature whose combined power and toughness is five or less.
0: I don't think it's good. I don't. Know. People talked about this when it first released, and I never liked it.
1: So it should never replace Fatal Push. Like, there's so few creatures that Cut Down hits that Fatal Push does not hit.
0: I didn't found any. Like, I didn't found any... I didn't found enough to mention.
1: Right, so then it's a question of, do I want more than four Fatal Push? And if so, does Cut Down give me more of the effect? And, like, maybe, but I just don't think that's going to come up. I'd, I'd rather just have a more reliable kill spell, even if it costs me two mana, of which there are plenty of options.
0: Yeah, exactly. So sorry about people that were really excited for some of these cards, but sorry, sorry, Nikachu, sorry, Marfolk enthusiasts. <laughs> I just don't see the deck seeing the light of day again. And Shieldred, I'm gonna say it again. Design sucks. Uh, and I, I'm gonna keep my conspiracy theory that that's because of Shadowright Priest.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Shieldred died so that Shadowright Priest could take wing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, my first take is Lily of the Veil, not because I think the card is weak, but rather because I think people are overhyping how I, it will be good, I just think it's getting overhyped how good it will be.
1: So, you're saying Lily of the Veil, overrated for Pioneer right now.
0: Yeah, I think it's good, like, I'm not saying, don't ever say I don't think it's good, I just don't think it's as good as people think it is, If I, if that makes any sense. I think it's a good card, not an amazing card.
1: I think it's, like, somewhere between good and amazing, so I'm going to... Okay, no no. I'm gonna say it's not overrated, I think it's properly rated right now. I'm
0: bound to be mistaken on that one, and I wouldn't be surprised. Like it's not something that I could like swear on and be sure about. I just don't see it being as good. Secondly, I agree with you finding the third path and the filer cycle are my two and three instead of three and two, instead of my first and second. Plus of heroes I saw a lot of talk about, and I don't think we'll see any play because it's just a land with slight upside. And finally, War, Widow. I I no. think it's just... I think it's a guy that's just you. That's just a father what? to love, Dan. I'm not on your boat with Elanuar Widowmaker.
1: <laughs> my boy! <laughs> that's my boy!
0: I know. I'm sorry to that to your boy, but I have seen a lot of people hyping up the boy, and I can't see the power in your boy.
1: You've seen other people talking about this? Oh, okay. I haven't, yeah. so... I
0: also, know. someone in the Discord just posted, okay, I'm all in on founding the third path.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> Well, I mean they they're gonna answer the question. I, I could be wrong about founding. So the path.
0: they're they're hyping it up in Esper Grisfang. Interesting. Next to that we have the top five underrated. Which I think here we might agree in a lot, because these are cards that I think people think aren't playable, but rather might see a tiny amount of play.
1: Yeah, underrated again, very subjective, but I mean always there's so many cards to talk about during preview week that any card that's like not really getting that much discussion is potentially underrated so these are cards i just want to like call out again in case you missed them during the blur of previews these are cards that are worth a closer look um, do you want to start emmy
0: yeah of course so first of all this is like the exact opposite of lily i don't think the card is great i just think it's not as terrible as people say with, with his currently living legacy
1: saffron olive has been going off about this card
0: been- <laughs> oh no saffron olive has been shooting bullets at the card so I think it's bad, I just don't think it's as bad. Like, I can see games taking away with this. I can, I can see the extras do something with it. I don't think it's good, like, at all right now. I don't think it can be disqualified at, so far before seeing the next spoilers. So this reminds me in a sort of way of what happened with Moxamper. Not because I think they are already similar, but on release it was terrible, and then stuff started to happen. Emery happened. Breach happened. Ragavan happened.
1: Yeah, Karn is not as good as all that, it's not as good as Mox Amber But But
0: they said that power stone shards that the power stones that Karn generates are part of the next expansion like there's synergy with them so maybe that's just something setting up. Secondly, I have the Hotishin, because we talked about it with David just a creature you have to remove both if you're fighting for board or if you're fighting for the tempo or like against the combo it's a card that's bound to like really do a lot of stuff
1: so let's read these cards, just because uh, these are maybe not as well-known.
0: So Horishin, 2 and a blue for a star 4 flying with instant sorcery you cast cost 1 less, 1 color, one less colorless. And it has power equal to the number of instant sources in your graveyard. So a mono-white enigma drake, sorry, mono-blue enigma drake that also has paraltex attached to it.
1: Correct, yeah, and it, it does cost one blue-blue. Um, oh, sorry, that But be- that's fine. Yeah, so it combines the power of Goblin Electromancer and Baral with Enigma Drake. And that, you know, it doesn't seem like much. It's a small tweak, but I think that makes a big difference, right, in terms of, like, what role it can play in your deck. But you, if you put an Electromancer in your deck, you're saying that I really, really expect to get a lot from the cost reduction, so much so that I'm going to play this weak, off-playing creature. Jin lets you, you kind of have it both ways. Like, you can... You can just have a nice combat creature that also generates a ton of mana. Um, yeah, this is a serious combat stats for Hottie Even if they wipe out your graveyard multiple times with, like, go blanks or whatever, you can just keep churning because you're getting cost reduction and you'll build it back up again.
0: Pretty really interesting card. There's a reason we both have it as a second. I think that's just because people did not talk anything about it.
1: Yeah, I also put Hottie as my uh, number two underrated card.
0: Following that, I have Shadow Ride Priest. You have it as your first, I have it as my third Super excited for it. I really want it to see some play. And I really want to brew with it eventually.
1: Your fourth card is one that I had flagged to talk about and David just shot it down immediately.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I actually like this card. So I'm, we're talking about Serra Paragon, the four mana three for flying Lurus. That can get so it's one more mana so it's one mana more expensive, not playable in monoblack, and it has an exile clause to make sure whatever you play gets exiled the second time. This can be sort of strict, as, as we discussed with cards like Cathar Commando on the last episode, but it also gains you 2 life, which is not tiny.
1: Yeah, 3-4 flying for 2 white-white. Once during each of your turns, you may play a land from your graveyard or cast a permanent mana value 3 or less from your graveyard, and then when you do that, the thing you bring back gains this exile clause that also gains life. The mistake exactly. I made was I described this in our notes as the white tireless tracker, which David has like a tireless tracker alert. Whenever I get on a tireless tracker rant, he just shuts it down immediately. <laughs> that
0: was your mistake. You should have sold it as mono white Lurus, not mono white tracker.
1: Okay, so mono white Lurus. That's that's more accurate. Yes.
0: And my last card is a card I think is so underrated. Just by saying the name, a lot of people won't know which one it is.
1: Which yeah. Is what do you got here?
0: Kyrian best color, best color.
1: Quirin- I believe it's a 1 and a green for a 2-2, two, two, and its abilities have something to do with counters.
0: Yes. So Kyrian Beast color, 2-2 green, and a colorless for a Dryad Warrior. Whenever you cast a creature spell, it gets a plus-one, plus-one counter. And when it dies, you distribute X amount of 1-1 counters, where X is the number of 1-1 counters it had among creatures you control.
1: So you like this card?
0: I like this card. Just because I think it's really powerful in any mono-green aggro shell, or like... Like a roost shell. Any creature making it grow, followed by the fact if it dies to a spot removal, it just splits its counters.
1: Interesting. So do you feel like you have to play like hardened scales, winding constrictor type stuff, or can you just play this in a regular aggro deck? I think
0: this is just like in an aggro slash devotion deck. It reminds me of a really old card. I think it was Servant of the Scales, which is something extremely similar from Teros.
1: Hmm... It's like Yorvo text. I mean, I don't know. It's it's a unique combination of like Yorvo Lord of Garenbrig plus the Servant of the Scale. That's interesting. I feel like when it's all said and done, it won't be powerful enough, but I could be wrong. I mean maybe you know, if you do have other creatures in play, you know, you just play like Rishkar on turn two, and now suddenly you have all these counters built up, and if they kill your your creature that's a rapidly growing threat, you you just move the counters over. So yeah, maybe there's something here.
0: This is this is of course not talking about modern, but more in pioneers uh, pioneer slash lower power level sets. So we only differ Agreed. in two cards. Number three and number five.
1: Yeah, our underrated lists were very similar. So I also had Karn as my uh, underrated fifth card. Again, because we don't know how good power stones are and I think it's just a rampant growth. Plus one to rampant growth. That's pretty good. Um I also had Shadowite Priest and Hodijin. The two ones that I listed that more did not already mention are Cruelty of Gix and Elder Dragon War. These are both expensive sagas, but sagas can do a lot, right? I mean, we've seen from Fable of the Mirror Breaker that a card that just does a lot and doesn't ask for additional mana investment has the potential to make waves. Now, these are a little more expensive, so let's talk about Cruelty of Gix. Three Black Black, it's chapter one is kind of like a Thought Seize effect, so that's not super powerful. Chapter two is the really exciting one. Chapter two. Is exactly Grim Tutor. Search your library for any card, put it into your hand, lose three life. So here things get really interesting because Grim Tutor, and in fact all Tutors, what sucks about them is that you just have a really bad turn any turn you spend mana to Tutor. But if you can Tutor without spending any mana that turn, you can have an amazing turn, right? Just think of Profane Tutor in Modern, which right? is, you know, took a while to get rolling, but now that the Cabal Coffers deck has kind of established itself, you know, Profane Tutor coming off suspend is going to lead to a great turn. Cruelty of Gix lets you set that up with uh, the Saga effect, and then in addition to all that, you even get Chapter Three. Chapter Three is a Zombify, target creature from your graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. So the importance of Chapter Three, in addition to like providing extra value, is that it provides you another failsafe, right? Because another way that like a card like Profane Tutor can suck is that you draw it and you just. You know, you don't have time for that kind of stuff. You just need to immediately impact the board. Cruelty of Geeks gives you two ways to do that. Chapter 1 for the Thoughtseize, Chapter 3 for the Zombify. So you can just read ahead and go directly to Chapter 3. It's kind of like Liliana, Death's Majesty, which, you know, you play it for the Zombify, but you also get other bonus stuff too. Yeah,
0: Cruelty of Gix is actually quite interesting for me as well, because it does two super powerful cards and a mediocre one on the first step. But read ahead, is read ahead. By mana reanimation, as its worst case scenario, means it has at least tiny legs to stand on.
1: Yeah, so for similar reasons, the Elder Dragon War rounds out my underrated list, and I think you and David did a nice job of talking about the virtues of this card. Chapter 1, 2 damage to each creature in each opponent. Chapter 2, discard any number of cards, then draw that many cards. Chapter 3, create a 4-4 red dragon creature token with flying... Two red red to cast with read aheads. So if you if you really don't have time for nonsense, you can just pay for it and get a 4-4 four, four dragon. So the baseline is good. But if you want, if you want all the effects, you get part Fable the Mirrorbreaker, right? That chapter 2 is very similar there. Part Sweeper effect, right? That's very surprising. So uh, we were
0: playing Chat's Rob got like the, you know, the Wizard Capability of playing before and was streaming Dominar United. Mm-hmm. This card was insane in how it developed in Limited.
1: Like, oh, yeah. super <laughs> powerful.
0: Like, the lines it led to your opponent... Like, you could attack, make your opponent... For example, your opponent had a 4-4 flyer, and he had a choo choo, and the versatility this card gave him of attack, see if opponent blocks, and have both the versatility of a wrath effect or a 4-4 dragon. It's huge!
1: Yeah, the total amount that this card gives you is impressive, right? If you're looking for what is the next Fable of the Mirror Breaker, well... Elder Dragon War costs four, so it, it can't be that card, but the text is almost exactly the same, right? Three great effects. Yeah. Drawing cards, affecting the battlefield in multiple ways, a uh, great, great card. And it even leads to shenanigans, like, you know, I've been, been eyeing the Power Conduit deck for a long time, been eyeing Brought Back, and this is a very interesting saga for both of those effects, if you want just to just repeatedly create four fours.
0: Dan, you likely know this, because I don't, is there any creature that on ETB returns an enchantment into play?
1: Not into play, not that I know of.
0: There has to be a creature that on ETB reanimates an enchantment.
1: There's something reanimate to your hand. There's like Razor Hippogriff. Yeah,
0: yeah, digger for enchantment. But I'm looking like reanimate straight into play.
1: That would just get omniscience though if that existed. That, I don't think we have that.
0: Yeah, that would just get omniscience. Shocking. Shocking that we have so many of that effect for artifacts and Zero for enchantments.
1: <laughs> All right, so those are our underrated cards, and if you'll permit me, if you'll indulge me for a couple minutes mord I have to, I have to just close out this episode with my rant about power creep. In this, this is your boomer stage. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we evaluate cards for Modern and Pioneer, but you look at the totality of the set, right? As each card comes out one after another, I was quite shocked and a little bit offended that up and down throughout the set, commons, uncommons, rares, mythic rares, it just felt like they were power creeping everything. And they've done this at various times of various sets, but like even just like the basic commons, like there's a 2-3 a flying drake for three, which like, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that those have always been 2-2 two, two flying drakes, and then eventually like wind drake, and then you had to keep upgrading wind drake slowly and give it extra text and stuff. And now it's just like, okay, it's just straight up 2-3 three for three, right? <laughs> Throughout the set, there are tons of cards like this. Uh, they use this off-color kicker mechanic, so there's tons of cards that were just like a known effect with an extra kicker stapled on. And one of the if card evaluation principles that I often preach is like, is something best in class, right? Best in class efficiency, providing an effect better, more efficiently, more powerfully than we've ever seen it before. And Dominaria United is full of cards like this. Most of those effects are like minor upgrades, so minor that we don't really talk about them for Constructed, but they're there, right? Like the, the upgrade is meaningful and you kind of can't go back after a while. So I think Dominion United is a major step forward in terms of power creep. Um, I have a list of cards here just like that offend me a little bit, like Shore Up. You talked about Shore Up with Cameron.
0: Yeah, because it's it has so much stakes.
1: One mana instant for a blue. What do you get for that? You get Hexproof, you get plus one, plus one, You might be thinking, okay, well, there was already a card like that in green. Okay, but you also get to untap your creature. So you get all this stuff. You can save a guy from removal, you can win combat, you can untap your guy. Like, why do you get all this stuff from shore up? Um, Flowstone Infusion. You know, I know that you don't agree with me about Flowstone Infusion. This is instant speed, plus two, minus two. It's basically a split card, lava spike, and stomp.
0: Yeah. I don't hate it. I just think you overlap it.
1: Well, I think I properly. Well, okay, maybe I overlove it, but I think it's actually like better than it's better than you might think. If you look at Flowstone Infusion and, and think, "Well, Lash of Malice has already existed, so what's the big deal?" Well, the big deal is that Lash of Malice is black. This is red, so you don't yep. have to stretch anymore. You don't need an extra reason to play black. You can just put Flowstone Infusion into a prowess deck, and I think you'll be pretty impressed. Obviously, we're talking about Pioneer. Yeah, of course. It's not that far off Lightning Bolts, right? It's either a three to the face with targeting your own creature or it kills a creature uh tail swipe i think david did a nice job explaining why that one is important that's a one mana green fight and if you cast it on your turn you get a plus one plus one impulse just like straight up impulse we've seen impulse variants for like decades now where like a card is weaker than impulse but you know under certain conditions it can be as good as impulse in 2022 they just give us actual impulse right actual impulse. <laughs> it might be unplayable. Yeah, it's like not even the card anyone's was talking about because, you know, the rest of the set's so powerful. But like, Shimmer of Possibility sees play and Pioneer, and this is just that as an instant. And the last card that just like really shocked me was, again, part of the final dump of commons was Land and war Stalker, 1-1 Elf for a green. Whenever any other creature comes into play on your side, you get plus one plus zero on the Stalker. So it was like a super Foundry Street Denison. Not a card the elf decks have ever had access to before, so I think if you think of elves, you think of like mana generation. But it's entirely possible that, you know, Lanamore Stalker is good enough that you could just build a totally different style of elf deck. Lanamor Stalker turn one, Dwinen's Elite Turn Two, Elvish Warmaster plus, you know, another one drop, Shaman of the Pack. I mean you're dealing lethal pretty quickly here without ever having to like ramp with elves. It's just really surprising how on these little things they just chose to give you very cheap versions of uh, very useful effects. Yeah, so Land Stalker, a card that I don't expect to see a ton of play, but it's a card that, yeah, just don't ignore these cards. Whenever you see something that is unique, powerful, well, powerful in asterisks, but cheaper than ever before, um, these are cards to pay attention to, and Dominaria United is full of cards like this.
0: Yeah, so super shocking about some of these. I didn't even realize, like... Impulse was of course a huge power clip of the artist. Stalker just sneak right below me, and Tailstripe as well, being an instant, is huge. Also, then you just got tagged for a party time because we didn't realize a lot of these cards are clerics and wizards and warriors. <laughs> because Evolved Sleeper is a cleric, Ravenman is a wizard, and Bla- Bloodsuck Champion is a warrior. So Party Time Thank in Pioneer?
1: You. It's happening. I mean, I, I've seen uh, Anthony Manino. I play bad decks. He's been playing that Changeling deck again, and he put Kalia Zenith Seeker into it, which is the card I've been urging people to play in, in these Changeling decks. All he needs to do is add Coveted Prize, and he's going to have a winning deck, uh, a beautiful five zero. He's got a bunch of four ones right now with the Changelings. <laughs> yeah, party time! It's happening. Russo Drakes and party time.
0: Russo, no, no, stop! That's too much. You cannot mix them do yeah,
1: it no these are separate weeks separate do it weeks, same obviously.
0: week roost of pa- <laughs> okay. party roost
1: party roost <laughs> exactly alright well I think we'll leave it there perfect
0: um, thanks so much Dan it was a pleasure Mord as per yeah, this is
1: an amazing looking set we're gonna have our work cut out for us that's for sure
0: yeah beautiful set a lot to work with and super excited for it so so happy for you done. hope the moving on such is not too troublesome and see you again in one or two weeks see ya bye if you enjoyed this episode, I want you to keep up with our latest brews. You can support us via Patreon. This will not only grant you immediate access to our Discord, where you can find our festless brewers, but also access to the monthly project, where you can help us choose what are we working for for the following month. Finally, remember to tune in on Friday as our first brews start to pour in, and we can finally see what Dominar United will bring us. Besides some beautiful late bindings. Hope you enjoyed the show and happy brewing. Bye bye.